It's up to you because I think if people have started listening to this podcast, they'll carry on for as long as it takes. So you should do whatever, um, whatever feels good. curator at large of the open book and I have got here Alex Taylor uh, to talk to us now Alex I asked him how he wished to be introduced and he had a lot of things to say but we've boiled it down to only a few of his many talents I'd like to say he's wearing a very amazing shirt which involves pink maroon black and um, sort of diamond shaped things which is sent to him by his parents so uh, big ups for his parents anyway he is a composer a musician uh, he moonlights as a poet he's also a teacher a conductor and an impresario which sounds impressific but in fact just means event organizer of concerts he told us so he sort of um, took the wind out from his own sails uh, and as well as Alex we also have Hayden Glass with us on this edition and I am the proprietor of the open book he is the proprietor of the open book and he may, he knows a lot about music, so he may say something about music during the podcast. Um, so Alex, hello. Hi. Hi. Great to be here. It's so lovely to have you. Um, so you're reading at the open book on February the 19th at 3pm, uh, which is going to be fantastic. In preparation for this podcast, you sent me a collection of unpublished poems and they were amazing. I opened them up and I thought, oh my God, what a pleasure these are to read. Oh, so that was fantastic. And also, and just to talk about me for a moment, I felt like there were some poetic concerns that um, I'm really interested in that came through in your work as mm -hmm. well. So let's talk about those. Um, but before we talk about those, would you like to read us something and tell us what you're reading from? Uh, yes, okay. Um, I'm going to read from a new collection um, of poems that have been published by Chris Holdaway's Compound Press. Um, the collection is called Vocoda Lorry. And, and if anyone wanted to get a copy of it, um, how would they do that? On the Compound Press website, yes, it's available for, I think, $15. Wow, um, which is okay, a so save up, save up. Um, I haven't quite decided what I'm going to read, but... Um, it's up to you, because I think if people have started listening to this podcast, they'll carry on for as long as it takes, so you should do whatever... Um, whatever feels good. Whatever feels, whatever you feel. Okay, well I'm going to read the one that people always request, which is called Man Alive. He's the man with the answers. Man of the house, man about town, man of the world, man on the moon, man in the manger. He's a man with mandibles, a mandibular man. He's a man of his word, his mantra. He's every man, no man, rich man, poor man, beggar man, solitary man, hollow man. He's the man on your mantelpiece, the man of experience, the man of distinction, the man in the mirror, in the middle, the man in the iron mask, the man with the golden gun. He's the best man, the straw man, Batman, Superman. He's mandolins, manpower, manganese, men of war, mental notes, mansions in Manhattan, mangy in Manila, mentioned in memoirs, mendacious as a manatee, a manic man-eater with the menace of Medalaus. He's on the menu, on the mend. He's a manacled mannequin, a Mancunian manslaughterer, a mandated mandrel, a manicured maniac, a menial Menshevik. He's manly, mannish, manlike. He's manny. He's the origin of man, the fall of man, Magritte's son of man with the apple, the isle of man. He's got a man bag, man breasts, man love. He un emancipated, oh man, unmanned the mandrake, manumitted his mannequins. He's manifold, manifest, manufactured, mannerist, menacing. He's a man fan of Manet, Manilo, Mandela, Mendeleev, a man among men, half man, a minotaur, a manta ray muncher, a Manchester minpin. He 
manipulates, maneuvers, manages, manducates. He's the man. He's many. Man, that was great. So tell me, what is the joy of writing a poem like that? Um, I think partly the performance of it. Um, I'll just come a little bit closer. Um, I feel like my poetry exists better off the page than on it. Um, and I think the the rhythm of it and the music of it is is part of the joy of it for me. Um, as well as just exploring words and how they kind of can open up a whole world of uh, a whole uh, musical language, I guess. And so um, if we talk about process for a moment, so is that one long flow of man stuff that came out of you? That sounds dirty, but I didn't mean it like that. Um, or is that actually the work of a lot of a vision? And I should say I'm a poet who, um, you know, sometimes you spend five minutes and man's mm -hmm. done. Like, you know, so it's uh, no shame in saying there's no revision in it. Uh, that poem probably started as improvisation, but was revised um, a lot. I mean, it basically is a list of, of man-related words, um, but yeah, has been has been uh, sculpted a little bit. I would say uh, it's probably one of the more improv feeling poems um, in that in that collection. Mm, and it feels, um, you know, it feels kind of free and, and sprightly mm -hmm. as you read it, which is really nice. It was probably a, a, a beat poetry phase of, of mine. Harriet. Yeah. Oh, Harriet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So something else that's in there, in fact, on the topic of Harriet or Harriet is, um, uh, I don't even know if I'm using this word correctly, intertextual, intertextuality, mm -hmm. i.e. quoting from mm -hmm. other people, right? Which is really an interesting thing uh -huh. um, in poetry and in all art. So talk to me about what it feels like to take all those references and put them together. Um, I feel like I'm constantly stealing stuff. Uh, I feel like there's so much wonderful resource in the world of phrases and, and, and uh, things that people, other people have put together that it's only kind of natural to, to indulge in that. It. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, I think um, Stravinsky said, um, you know, the, the best composers don't borrow their steel. Um, so I, don't, I, don't, I guess I do it also in music. Um, I'm very interested in how different types of languages musical languages interact uh so different genres and different styles of music um often kind of juxtaposed or superimposed um how they kind of fight and and work with each other and maybe it's similar with poetry as well um yeah so um for me there is a sensation of composition Mm -hmm. say, um, which is about the moment where things are happening and you're making something, right? Um, and I'm not a musician at all, but I'm, uh, you know, moonlighting as a poet. No, I'm moonlighting as a corporate strategist. I'm a poet moonlighting as a corporate strategist. Um, so you compose music and you compose poetry. Mm -hmm. Is there a qualitative difference in that sensation for you between those two activities? Or is it just a different outworking of um, the same feeling? Uh, I think... They are very similar in some ways and they're very different in other ways. Um, they are both, for me, forms of expression. Uh, I think poetry, words are much 
easier than notes. Uh, Poetry is a, is a dumb person's game, right? A dumb, no, lazy person's game. Yeah, no, not, no, not at all. Yeah, that's what I think. But so the short. material, I think the material of poetry is more natural. It's less natural to craft, but with music, you have to put down every note. It's not a stream of words that comes out of your mouth or your mind. It's, it's I mean, you could, you can, you know, improvise music and, and record it and transcribe it or whatever, but, but composing music is really a much more of a um, construction than poetry for me, at least in the initial material right. stages I guess of development. We, right. I guess we live in language every day, don't mm. we? But we have to choose to turn to music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think music as, you know, as natural as it becomes to, to musicians, it's still not, it's not, doesn't have that same degree of being, part of us that that words do and does that make the pleasure of a successful piece of music composition greater that you've surmounted that both whatever's going on inside you and that piece of artificiality i don't know i mean i think i i get great pleasure out of both um poetry and music um i think it's it's hard it's hard for me to judge that i don't know yeah Yeah. we'll talk about it next time You think about it. Homework. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, which brings me to a word that came up in the poems that you sent me, and that's a word that I'm really interested in, which is facility. Mm-hmm. So, um, you there's a poem in the work that you sent me, which was kind of about um, breaking through facility, like the, the dangers of facility. Mm-hmm. And by facility, I mean... Um, ease with something right mm-hmm. so you kind of it's the person who picks up a pencil and goes oh I can draw your you know I can draw your face mm. and it looks like you mm. or um, the person who you know whips something out and it sounds good as a poem or you know they can just write a story and um, this idea of like you can look fancy but you're not there is some element of integrity missing which mm-hmm. you have um, passed through because of your facility the ease with which you do this um, is that an idea that resonates with you? Absolutely. I mean, I think um, I am lucky to have, certainly uh, with music, uh, to be, uh, you know, have a good ear. And mm. that that is something that can easily become something that you rely on um, and use as a kind of easy way out. And I think it's, yeah, I, I do think it's important as a composer and a poet to kind of put uh, put structure in into the process so that you are filtering your um, raw material or your improvisation, which is not always improvisation, but uh, filtering material through some kind of um, process that is rigorous, um, that definitely, that idea resonates with me. And and the, the, the poem... Uh, I think the series of poems was was a, um, about um, uh, well I I I used um, the um, sketches manuscript sketches of a, a composer called Anthony Watson who was living so I wrote wrote these poems in Dunedin um, when I was uh, the Castleberg the Trust. deep south the deep south yes I lived um, in Dunedin once it was right. very cold I met a it snowman it was extremely cold was so awesome. I lived there for the winter I was there for the three months of winter. And um, I was researching this composer, Anthony Watson, who is, I think, one of New Zealand's 
best composers um, or was and also one of New Zealand's most underrated composers but he was writing a, a cello concerto when he died. Um, he died very young. Um, Dangerous. Don't write cello concertos. Depressive alcoholic and, you know, in Dunedin. Um, and, Leave Dunedin and, if you are a depressive <laughs> alcoholic. Come north where it is warm. That's right. That's PSA, right. public anyway, service Anyway, so, so, so I used these, um, these sketches as kind of material for the poetry. So he had scrawled all of these notes, uh, all of these words um, on, onto the music. Um, and some of them were kind of very uh, sort of easy looping cursive sort of, uh, and some were these kind of almost childlike bold capitals that he'd gone over and over and over, um, you know, um, you know, stronger, more aggressive, like all of these markings that he'd made drunker to himself. And drunker. Well, probably, um, probably, but also kind of notes that he'd made to himself to kind of force himself to, to kind of channel what he was what he was writing um and so this became a kind of uh material for for, for the poems um yeah which was a kind of a kind of structure for the facility maybe mm, yeah no it's so interesting i think and and uh, you look at um you know facility leads to being facile like mm-hmm. that's i mean an obvious thing to say um so another thing i was really interested in your um work is that some of your words in your poems do a lot of work. There are a few words in the poems that go, oh, the whole poem kind of um, opens up or turns or, you know, you get a whole different tone from this very well-chosen word that kind of bleeds out into the rest of the poem. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was one poem where you used the word gnarl, the gnarl of the weather or something, the mm-hmm. phrase was something like that, right? And I thought, oh, my God, that's such a strong, solid you know, um, old-fashioned kind of word, and it does such a lot of work there in mm. making the weather so concrete and so kind of gritty and, well, gnarly, right, which yeah. is what you're after. Um, and then sometimes you do something that is a lot more kind of baroque and sort of, you know, playful and kind of showing off, mm-hmm. right, where you go um, ashen, scabland, trash, and wimpled. Right, you know, these... I think those examples that you chose were interesting because that was those were all taken from... Um, the Road by Cormac McCarthy. That entire poem was basically... Well, what can you say? All right, okay. Cormac McCarthy yeah, is amazing, right? And... Get off my podcast, <laughs> Alex. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a good example of intertextuality, I guess. But yeah, I think also my natural... Also known as shit. Yeah, nicking yeah. shit, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think my natural uh, way of uh, writing is is to be more compressed than to be, than to be Baroque and... and extravagant although maybe the man poem wasn't a good example <laughs> that's right it's that. so compressed yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Um. yeah i i have a i find it difficult to repeat myself um i especially in music i, I feel like i've as soon as i've heard something it's like well how are you going to develop that where is that going to go um i, I guess i have a, a slight aversion to minimalist styles of music which right um and is this a folly of youth Alex, or what is this? Um, I'm not sure. But I I just I like I like I like poems and and pieces to, to take me somewhere um, rather than get stuck in a groove or a, a rut. Right. Yeah. Right. And when you're writing poetry, um, do you search for those words that do the work, or do they come to you like a gift? Um. I'm not sure. I mean, if there's probably an element of 
them sometimes ha- you know happening yeah. um, by chance but there's also lots of going rigorously through dictionaries and and things like that I mean I was for quite a while very um, obsessed by uh, this Harriet Mullen book Sleeping with a Dictionary where she just kind of it's it's a whole lot of word, word games essentially um, where she's really just gone to town on the dictionary um, and that really influenced well, certainly a lot of these poems and and um, and, and Laurie. So we could say you're a part of the nerd, not a part of the muse. Would that be fair? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, part of the nerd. That's I can I can live with that. I can live with that. Yeah. Um, which is meant with the you know the greatest sense of praise attached to it. So um, some of the poems that you sent me were the series of poems created out of National Geographic magazines, mm-hmm. and I was just so charmed and transported oh, by these poems. Thanks. I thought that they were really amazing. Um, so what he does, uh, dear listeners, is if I understand the process correctly, and you can correct me if I'm um, wrong here, Alex, is take an article from the National Geographic and essentially remove 98% of it and leave a few key words mm. um, and present that as a poem. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, an erasure. Yeah, yeah, which which um, relates then very interestingly to a conversation I just had with Lisa Samuels about soft text and hard text. So, mm-hmm. you know, the um, so soft text being what surrounds and is unseen or unwritten or unread um, from the hard text which is the you know black words on white page or you know what we're saying to each other and I thought oh that's interesting because you know the journalist has written this um, story which they've selected from the real world and put this hard text together and then you've come and pushed a whole lot of it back into the realm of soft text where it is Mm -hmm. unsaid for the reader and the power of those poems is beautiful and um uh, you know, as someone who's always interested in found poetry, and I've done a reasonable amount of work with found poetry myself, um, I wondered how would you characterise that creative process? Like, what is what is the joy of erasure that you're working with there? I'm um, part. I think initially it was a physical thing. It was like circling words and and drawing lines and the the um, what's the I can't remember the name. Tom Tom Phillips, um, the human hum, a humament which is a, a book that he's totally erased and drawn I'm, over. I'm looking and, like he's working over, we're talking over my head here. So. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think first of all, it was the physical kind of uh, sort of palimpsest of drawing over something. That is um, the word I was trying to say correctly in earlier podcasts right. and stuffing up. Oh, Thank you for your yeah. help. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this idea of, of, of kind of putting something over the top. Of, yeah. of something else that exists so um al- although what i sent you had erased the other words they do exist as national geographic you know yes and you've documents. given the references yeah so we can find them mm. um i've forgotten what the initial question well, it was, was. Just, just what's the pleasure of that activity yeah. so it's it's i mean it's a kind of um treasure hunt isn't it? yeah it is it's it's oh oh that that word connects to that thing over there and and the, yeah is it the treasure hunt's the way to describe it yeah. I, I did a um uh also while i was in dunedin a, a erasures workshop with Hera lindsay bird she she gave a great workshop on this we all kind of got given a, a stack of um 19th century kind of novels and and or i think i got one that was sort of um a, a very uh questionable kind of colonial um 
tome about this general's uh, excursions in the Sinai and sort of his right. references questionable to the, colonial tomes yes. are our favourite at yeah. the open book if anyone and, needs more questionable colonial tomes we, we keep them in a special place yeah and I like that idea of you know taking something that probably has no place being read really it didn't it didn't <laughs> I mean it didn't offer anything historical and it right. didn't, didn't should just exit the world well yeah should I mean not. this was its Do best not. this was its best sort of second life I mean right. as, as something that could be transformed and into something maybe slightly more useful I don't know um not quite the same thing with National Geographic but I felt like taking something uh scientific or sort of objective and and twisting it into something slightly bizarre or or grotesque was was kind of interesting to me so. mm-hmm. and they're beautiful poems I mean they just yeah. you know they, they take off from their source material and from the treasure hunt and become you know, their own beautiful thing, which belongs to you and then belongs to the reader, which is fantastic. And on that note, would you like to read us another poem? Oh, sure, certainly, yeah. Um, uh, So this is from an article called Lincoln in the National Geographic of April 2015. Murder, its dark cloth hastily nailed together, throngs in the American hero. The lowing procession shrouded in black crepe. I spot liberty between America and the Mason-Dixon restaurant, scraggly grey moustache and his own allegiance, shooting an immaculate iron freedom. Thank you, Alex. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for having me.